is Camilla and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So let's roll! Hey everyone, it's Camilla. Welcome back to The Cat's Whisker. Oh my god, before I start talking about today's topic, I really, really wanted to thank everyone who listened to the Please Please Me special uh, that, by the way, I made available as the rest of the podcast on all the other podcast platforms. Um, So it's not going to be only on Spotify anymore, but Spotify is the only place where you can actually listen to the copyrighted music as well. But it's everywhere, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and I'm actually working on putting it on YouTube as well. But I want to mostly thank you because the podcast even entered the charts. It charted in the US and the UK, and it even got to number seven in Spain in the music history category. I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is such a great thing, especially since I'd love to make this my full-time job and your support is really, really precious to me. But let's talk about music now. My undying love for rock and roll made me think a lot about writing music. And I think, I mean, I think I'm not the only one. And I wish I was born earlier in time so that I could write great rock and roll hits. But the truth is, I'm not much of a songwriter, unfortunately, and this definitely generates in me an immense sense of admiration for all those who are able to actually do it. You are amazing, honestly. So today I want to tell you all about two of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Their music is the ultimate proof that hard work and lucky coincidence can create incredible stories. If you don't know who they are, let me tell you this, these two were the minds behind the songs that we associate with rock and roll. Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock, Love Potion No. 9, Searching and many others. Jerry Lieber was born on the 25th of April 1933 in Baltimore and his life was quite unusual from the start. He grew up in a Yiddish-speaking household in a Catholic Italian-Polish neighborhood right on the edge of the Black Ghetto. Since his dad died when he was just a little boy, Jerry's mom Mania decided to open her own business to support her family. A candy shop first and a grocery store after, Mania Lieber's shop was the only one in the area that extended credit to black citizens. Jerry became the delivery boy for the business to help his mother out. And inevitably, since he was going up and down those streets every day, all day, hearing the music coming out of the houses he visited all the time, it didn't take long before Jerry fell in love with Boogie Woogie. He started studying piano and drums and decided he wanted to be a songwriter. And incidentally, it was around this time that his mother sold her shop and the whole family moved to Los Angeles, where Jerry's sisters attended university. While he was in school, he also started working in a restaurant and one night, while he was collecting plates, he heard Jimmy Witherspoon's Ain't Nobody's Business on the Harlem Hit Parade on the radio. From that moment onwards, he decided to do something that would get him as close to music as possible. And that's how sweeping floors in a theatre during the summer and then working in a record shop after school helped him become a professional songwriter. It's in this second job that he meets Lester Still, 
who worked for Modern Records. Lieber told him that he was a songwriter and after singing to him his song A Real Ugly Woman, Sil was quite impressed. Can you get me others? He said to him. Lieber was confused, how could he give him copies of his other songs? Write down the sheet music for me with notes and lyrics, replied Sil. Lieber, if possible, was even more confused. I don't write notes. Well, find someone that does, said Sil. And thus, the search for a writing partner began. His first choice was his classmate, Jerry Horowitz. But that didn't last long, as Horowitz's father died and the young man had to work and support his family. But luckily, he recommended one of his friends, a certain Mike Stoller. And just like Lieber, Stoller wasn't from Los Angeles. His life started a month before Lieber's in Bell Harbor, Long Island, in a lower middle class family where his mom was already pursuing an artistic career. She was, in fact, an actress and had appeared in the chorus of Gershwin's 1927 musical comedy, Funny Face. His aunt played a piano and tried to teach him how to play, but since she was very strict and only played classical music, he quit straight away. When he was eight, his family sent him to summer camp with both black and white kids. That's when he heard blues and boogie woogie for the first time. He was immediately struck by it and decided to learn the basics of that new music and sneak in jazz clubs in his early teens. But when Mike was 16, his dad got a job opportunity that would take the whole family to sunny LA. Just like Lieber, Solo was trying to get closer and closer to the artistic environment any way he could. When he wasn't performing, Stoller was selling ice creams in one theater and working as an usher in another. And in 1950, Jerry Lieber asked him to come to his house. And that's when they started writing music together. I love to imagine them, these two teenagers, writing in the kitchen, a glass of lemonade on the table and a light summer breeze from the windows. They immediately clicked and that wasn't really that obvious. They certainly didn't look like the best match, in fact. Lieber was a very extroverted individual, while Stoller was quite the opposite, very laid-back and calm. Even their music taste was different, interestingly enough. Lieber loved upbeat music, whereas Stoller preferred jazz and contemporary classical music. You could say, though, without a shadow of a doubt, that they completed each other and found a common ground in rhythm and blues. And in wanting to be just like the artists they both admired, the two started writing up to five songs a day. Stoller would sit at the piano and Lieber would start yelling words. And well, those words would become between the most famous songs you've ever heard. Their style is pretty unique. They said that songs for them were like scripts. And they actually are telling stories, often filled with clever humor. And to me, that is quite extraordinary. I mean, thinking about a tune and making words rhyme is hard enough, but telling a story? That really blows me away. They first wrote for African-American artists, obviously, because that's who was playing rhythm and blues at the beginning. Jimmy Witherspoon, Charles Brown, Little Esther, Little Willie, Little Field. And still thanks to Lester Sill, they met DJ Gene Norman, who promoted an annual blues jamboree at the Shrine Auditorium. And that's where, in December 1950, Jimmy Witherspoon performed the first Lieber Stoller original, the song that Lieber had sung to sell in the music shop and that pushed him to find a writing partner, Real Ugly Woman. A real charming title, by the way. 
But as exciting as that was, the two still didn't know if they were going to make it. They needed a contract or something that stated that from that moment onwards, these two teenagers could be full-time songwriters. So Lieber managed to set up an appointment with Modern Records. They got there and they waited. No one there was paying them any attention. And after 20 minutes, the two decided they had enough and walked out. As soon as they left, Lieber and Stoller stumbled upon a small building with a sign on top. It said, Aladdin Records. They stepped inside, played a few songs and scored their first songwriting contract. And funnily enough, when Sale heard about what happened, he took them back to Modern Records. The first record to be pressed with their names on will be That's What The Good Book Says, sang by the vocal group The Robins for Modern Records. I guess it was because in those years it wasn't 100% sure how things should work or just because everyone wanted them. But Lieber and Stoller wrote songs for many different labels at the same time. Like Hard Times, sung by Charles Brown and released by Aladdin, and their next song with Peacock Records. And when I'll tell you what song I'm talking about, you'll be amazed. But here's a little backstory for you. The premises for the recording of that tune were everything but great. The session drummer wasn't good. So since no one knew what to do, the producer literally left his seat to go and play the drums, leaving Lieber and Stoller as unexpected producers. When the song came out, the credits were printed incorrectly, Stoller was spelled wrong and Lieber's name didn't even appear. And in its place, the record company put the producer slash drummers one. Oh, and the $1200 advance check that the label gave them bounced. I mean, I would be completely and utterly peeved, but that didn't really matter since the song was the amazing Hound Dog, sung by the great Big Mama Thornton, and became their first number one in the Rhythm and Blues chart. They wrote it having her in mind. In Lieber's words, we saw Big Mama and she knocked me cold. She looked like the biggest, baddest, saltiest chick you would ever see. She had scars all over her face. So after they saw her, they thought, okay, we need to find a song, but it needs to be a song that it's okay to air, but that is badass enough for Big Mama Thornton. And that's how Hound Dog was born. After that, Lieber and Stoller were unstoppable. In that same 1952, Little Willie Littlefield recorded another tune. Kansas City, a song that Little Richard will rework a few years later, mixing it with his Hey 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 Hey, and will also be released by the Beatles in this new form on their fourth album, Beatles for Sale. Lieber and Stoller wrote a number of other songs during that period, like a riot in cell block number nine for the Robins, and the first white artists they worked with were the Cheers, for whom they wrote Bazoom I Need Your Lovin' and Black Denim Trousers and Motorcycle Boots. After their misadventures with several labels and producers, the two decided in 1954, when they were only 21, to start Spark Records and Quinted Publishing. The company wouldn't survive long, only two years, but would publish 44 singles, all written by Lieber and Stoller. Some of them actually charted, but only locally. The two were obviously successful, but they hadn't had their big breakthrough yet. In 1955, the Robins' song Smokey Joe's Cafe 
caught the attention of Atlantic Records that made them the first freelance songwriters producers in music history, offering them to record, release and promote their material, paying Lieber and Stoller two cents royalties per record sold. This also made the Robins an Atlantic Records group. With a few arrangements in the lineup, the Robins would soon change their name and become none other than the Coasters, one of the most famous groups of that period. Searching, Yakety Yak, Charlie Brown, Poison Ivy, along came Jones and Little Egypt, all Lieber and Solo classics sung by the Coasters. But the very big breakthrough they had been waiting all their life for happened in 1956 when a kid named Elvis Presley decided to record Big Mama's hit Hound Dog and make it one of the most successful records of all time. And just like the original Hound Dog, even the release of this version comes with an interesting story. When Elvis worked on the song, Mike Stoller was in Europe, where, by the way, he met Edith Piaf, the famous singer of La Vie en Rose. When he traveled back to the US, he decided to board a ship, a luxury transatlantic named Andrea Doria. On its way from Genova to New York, along the coast of Nantucket, the ship collided with another passenger liner. The Andrea Doria famously sank. But luckily, Titanic kind of taught the whole world what not to do when a ship is sinking and nearly all the passengers got rescued. Mike Stoller was picked up by a lifeboat and when he finally arrived in New York City, Jerry Lieber was there at the docks waiting for him. As soon as they saw each other, they hugged. And Jerry handed him a suit and said, Mike, you're alive. Thanks heaven you're alive. Elvis did Hound Dog and it's number one. His friend, who had just survived a boat collision, looked at him and said, That's groovy. <laughs> After this success, in 1957, they get asked to write the soundtrack for a new film starring Elvis. After months without receiving material, the studio sent the music publisher down to New York to discover what was going on. Since Lieber and Stoller hadn't written anything for the film yet, the publisher literally locked them in a hotel room and forced them to write something. And four hours later, they came out with I Want To Be Free, Treat Me Nice, You're So Square Baby I Don't Care, which by the way would also be covered by Buddy Holly, and finally, the title track of the film, Jailhouse Rock. But these are not the only songs they wrote for the king. Love Me, Loving You, Don't, and King Creole were written for him by Jerry, Lieber and Mike Stoller. But even if probably Elvis is the most famous of the artists they collaborated with, there are a lot of other notable tracks from the peak of their career, like Lucky Lips for Ruth Brown, Love Potion Number no. 9 for The Clovers, and the music they wrote for The Drifters, like Fools Fall In Love, Drip Drop, Young Bloat, co-written with Doug Pomus, Dance With Me, There Goes My Baby, and on Broadway, co-written with Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel. And they also helped Ben E. King's solo career, co-writing one of the most famous songs of all time, Stand By Me. They produced this magic moment, saved the last dance for me, some kind of wonderful, and opened the roof. They had the ability to recognize a hit even before it was released. Take for example, There Goes My Baby, a song that mixed rhythm and blues with strings. Producer Jerry Wexler said, get that out of here. I hate it. It's out of tune and it's phony. Yeah, and it became the Drifter's biggest hit. At the beginning of the 60s, although pretty free compared to other songwriters, 
they started having trouble finding a good deal with labels. Furthermore, since the request was high but the music business was changing, they decided to put the writing on hold and concentrate on producing music. That's when they created Tiger Records and the label Daisy and then Redbird. They also started working with a young Phil Spector, with whom Lieber wrote Spanish Harlem for Benny King and signed songwriters like Neil Diamond and Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich, a couple that wrote both together and separately. And if you're curious about couples that write songs together, I actually did an episode all dedicated to them. In the late 60s, they wrote Is That All There Is for the amazing Peggy Lee, making it the most successful song of her career, helping her win a Grammy for Best Vocal Performance. During this period, they produced and or published many hits like Chapel of Love, Leader of the Pack. But the last big hit they produced, though, came out in 1973. And it's Stuck in the Middle with You by The Steelers' Wheel. During the rest of their career, they worked with Peggy Lee, Purple Harem and many others, but mostly as producers. They've been inducted in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and given many, many awards. In the 90s, a musical based on their career named Smokey Joe's Cafe landed on Broadway and on the West End, winning a Grammy Award. Jerry Lieber unfortunately died on August 22, 2011 in Los Angeles, but Mike Stoller is still alive and is 90 this year. They truly are a big inspiration for songwriters or people that want to work in music in general because really they had to go through a lot of bad deals, even a boat sinking. <laughs> but we're still singing their songs today and I absolutely love discovering more about songwriters because in a way when you know a little about music you kind of like associate a person, an artist with the music that they write. but in many cases somebody else wrote those songs for them and it's so cool in a way knowing that the same minds that worked on jailhouse rock also worked on stand by me or love potion number nine and in a way it makes sense after you listen to them but it's also so good and it gives you an idea of how fluid music is and i also want to give a lot of credit to the artists but because even if the songwriters were the same they managed to make their music there does that make sense I hope so. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you again for your support. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I am there as the Cat's Whisker Podcast and on TikTok as the Cat's Whisker. I post a ton of extra content there, always rock and roll related. So it would be amazing if you could give me a follow. See you next week. Ciao.